is the love of my life. My, I was going to say my first wife, meaning raise my second, but you're my <laughs> third wife. It's, it it's compli- complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> Chrissy D. Hey. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Nice to have you on the show, finally. Yeah, good. Um, the reason we're doing this, as you may have seen on uh, Facebook, what I want to do over the next week, two, three, four, depending on how long it goes on, I guess, is invite uh, American listeners, friends, I guess, friends, fans uh, in the United States, particularly those people that are living in protest or riot hotspots to come on and talk about a their perspective and experience what's going on in their their city their home and to talk about what they think the path forwards from here is Chrissy and I've been talking about it a lot over the last few days and honestly we're stumped (laughs) we don't really uh, know where it goes from here and um, I wanted to do the show with Chrissy, where she volunteered, surprisingly enough, <laughs> um, which is great because I've been saying to Chrissy for years, we, we should do a podcast. And we're always like, what, like sex, uh, love, philosophy? Well, the truth is we just have good conversations. We do. Like we, all the time. And you're always like, this should be a podcast. I know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, thanks. But um, I think this is particularly interesting because you're an American, and I would say you're a proud American. What? Well, not not in the not in the sense of you know you've got uh, the flag tattooed on your butt, but you're you do like a lot of things about America. You you miss a lot of things about America. You're not. Um, you know, somebody who hates America, like I do, according to David Markham. Um, but you have also lived outside of America now for nearly 11 years here in Australia. And so I think your perspective is going to be interesting to start with. Number one, you're, you're, you're only seeing what's happening from a distance. But two, you have that rare perspective, because most people who listen to this are either going to be Australians who've never lived in America, although some may have lived in America for bits of time, or uh, we have some listeners in obviously every country of the world, but the majority are going to be Aussies or Americans, and most Americans have probably never lived outside of the US 
for long periods of time, um, and I and and particularly in a country like Australia, which has whilst we're very very similar, like we had we we went to some new friends' house for lunch yesterday, Chrissy and I, uh, Brisbane couple, but they lived in the U.S. for six years. Six years. He was running a business over there, and then. When they moved back because they had some young kids, he was spending, I think, two weeks of the month in the U.S. for the next five years. And we were talking about this whole, um, the differences, the similarities between the cultures and the differences. On, on the surface, they seem very similar. Hmm. Australia is, you know, we, we absorb a lot of American culture and have done for, you know, a century. But there are subtle differences that make a lot of difference, too, in our cultures. And Actually, that's what I had a hard time with in, like, in the early days of me moving here was, um, yeah, so similar, but the difference actually, the, the differences, although subtle, were kind of big. Yeah. Like, I've lived in Germany for a year, and it was, like, really quite different, so that... In a way, I kind of just accepted everything, and here I was—I I let some things annoy me, or the inconveniences. The shops were closing like at six p.m. Like just a lot of things that were, yeah, enough different that it was annoying. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, no, the differences are big, but well, I mean, not big, but big enough. They're important, and and as you say, when you moved here, it took us both. I think quite a few years to really realize how important those differences were for you. Hmm. Um, but and, anyway, yeah. getting back to your experience, um, where did we say we were going to start with this? Like, you want to talk about what's going on in America at the moment? Well, I think it's important for people to kind of like understand a little bit about my background and where I came from and where I was at, I guess. When I moved here, so I grew up in a um, small town in southern Utah, Cedar City, and was there, um, besides that one year where I was an exchange student, um, my senior year of high school, um, for, I guess I was 21 when I moved to Seattle and was there for nine years before moving here. Um, Now, I was definitely in a red state and a Mormon state. Um, but I think I, it's a very, look, it's a very patriotic state. And so I was in that culture, but I think, um, thanks to my dad's influence, um, we had what, um, other members of our extended family called the Dunaway Wanderlust. And I kind of idealized Europe actually. And I didn't think America was the best country and the end-all, be-all. And when I was living in Germany, um, I remember being sheepish about telling people that I was American. And I remember being surprised at how, I don't know, it's very strange, at how people did react, like, oh, you're American. Like, I don't know. I was kind of, I don't know. that. So that was my background. And then, of course, living um, in Seattle, I was sort of in this liberal bubble for nine years uh, to the point when I would go to different parts of the country. I would visit my dad in Georgia. 
and my mom in Utah and, you know, just different places traveling around the country, realizing that it was a bubble. And um, so, yeah, a liberal bubble, um, progressive, forward thinking. And um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of already knew that I wanted to get out before I met you. I had um, read a lot of Howard Zinn and was he really heavily impacted by that and influenced by that. And I had watched Michael Moore documentaries that really affected me. And the, um, the one I watched where I really told my boyfriend at the time, like, I want to move to Canada. I thought Canada would be the answer because Vancouver's like really so close to Seattle. And he was like, I don't know about that. But I mean, I was quite clear that that America was kind of fucked at that point. Um, I mean, I had no idea it could get this bad. <laughs> so I'm very grateful that I got out when I did. Um, I didn't use you as like, I wasn't trying to get... <laughs> I wasn't feigning love to get out of America. We that that was just um, some freak chance of nature, the universe <laughs> that brought us together. But yeah, that's kind of where I was. I mean, I don't think I've ever been a patriot. You say proud American, and I think that it's just my home. You know, it's like you're always saying America's better. America, the food's cheaper, food's better, the supermarkets have got better stuff, the restaurants are better. Okay, look, the, that's all the true. The hiking is better, <laughs> the national parks are better. Okay, well, I was going to bring up the national parks. Like, part of me, it's like the landscape, the actual, like, the national parks. I'm a big hiker. I'm a kind of outdoor enthusiast. You know what we're going to do when we go down to Sydney to see Tony next? What? We're going to stay in the Blue Mountains. And I'm going to be like, meh. Yeah, yeah, you're like taking my mum to the Louvre, showing a Van Gogh and her going, yeah, I've seen better. My, my brother Ken, he, he's a better artist, really. Uh, yeah, no, enough. I mean, it's like, it, it's a sense of home, it's a sense of place. And when I go back, there's just this familiarity that um, feels better. And, you know, like, okay, living in Australia... From, I mean, I don't think Australia's realized how inconvenient it is. I mean, there was just so many conveniences in America that we don't have here. Look, I, and I've grown to actually enjoy it. It's a more simple way of life. Um, when, <laughs> it sound like we're living in Deadwood in 1878, yeah, yeah. man. It's, it's like... kind of like that. It's kind of like that. But, okay, when I, I mean, listen, when mm. I moved here, the grocery stores <laughs> closed at 6 p.m. Yeah. In Queensland, I know everything's better in Melbourne. Yeah. Well, I wasn't but... used to that either because... Yeah. <laughs> but my only experience was here. Yeah. And, yeah. like, I moved from um, Capitol Hill area, Seattle, um, where I could walk anywhere. I could walk to the grocery store, the Safeway that was open 24-7, and I would go, like, at... 1 a.m. sometimes or whatever um nightlife uh just bustling and here it's like everything closes down public holidays everything closes down there was no amazon there was no none of those like just real conveniences and yeah there's like 
three options in the grocery store for any one product. It was like very strange. Mm, no, you know. need to have 50 brands of toothpaste. It's important. It helps, you know, yeah. like the actually, cereal aisle. We know it doesn't. We know it actually taxes your brain and yeah, yeah, that's true. Exhaust you. But anyway, yes. The first thing the first thing we do though when we go to America is like go well when we visit my mom, we go to Walmart and we just like walk around kind of like all the stuff. Look at the cereal aisle. I could just like eat all the Captain and Crunch is, in the world. It is sort of overwhelming for me because I do want to try everything and I know I'm only there for two weeks. And You tried Twinkies and you were like, these are disgusting. <laughs> and I was like, sorry, we have to get a divorce. <laughs> uh, no, they are disgusting. I'd, no. I'd heard about Twinkies my entire life. They were advertised in comic books when I was a kid. I idolized them. I thought for my entire life, I thought... You know, the, the clouds were going to part, angelic heavenly choirs were going to sing to me. And I was like, oh, my God, this is just like soggy white cake with cheap cream in it. And that's what I Fake thought about cream. lamingtons, dry, Yeah, well, you disgust- haven't had a, yeah, you've got a you good homemade. You always say that. Like, I've been here 11 yeah, yeah, years. Come on. You have a good, oh, you know, a woman who was alive in World War One baking them in a bake sale on Anzac Day in the country yeah, where I grew up. That ain't happening. Yeah, I didn't get my grandmother's lamingtons. Okay, well, that, 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 that that's a bygone era yeah. newsflash. Yeah. Anyway, where were we? Don't know, really. Oh, yeah. You moved here and the shops closed. Early. Yeah, I mean, and actually things have gotten better now. The grocery stores close at 9 p.m. on weekdays, 6 p.m. on weekends. So, yeah, it's like we're, we're entering the world a bit. <laughs> but, but what? Well, uh, you know, the, you, you've I think you've come to appreciate some of the uh, things that Australia has that the US doesn't. But let's talk about what's yeah, going on sure. over there at the moment. So, mm-hmm. you, your perspective on what's happening over there at the moment. So, well, we can talk about COVID and then the riots. Yeah, because... it's all just like things have happened so quickly, mm. and none of it surprises me and i don't think it it should actually surprise anybody if riots like breaking out across the u.s isn't surprising anyone you have been living in a hole i mean is surprising anyone yeah sorry is surprising anyone you've been living in a hole if a mass shooting surprises anybody you've been living in a hole um or you've yeah everyone's i think slowly like frogs and uh pot right mm. you you they're becoming they're becoming desensitized used to it or yeah so yeah i mean i'm i moved over here in the obama years um and was absolutely devastated when trump was elected and at that point um like at that point and also when mass shootings were just like every week, it's seemingly every week, schools, movie theaters, country music festivals, um, I made a conscious decision that it wasn't good for my mental health to like keep reading the news. It got me riled up. It, it, it was just depressing. And so I, I actually like don't read news a lot. Um, you tell me the important things. And the other thing is I cannot see Trump. I can't see him or hear him without having like a visceral reaction. Like 
getting really sick to my stomach. So, I mean, I have got to curb that shit. And I've made a decision to... Um, and, and you know, we do. I mean, we we haven't had a television in the house like, a, like a normal television television. Well, yeah, since just after you moved here, I think. we I had one and it broke and we just never replaced it. We decided that's it. Yeah. We're not having a TV anymore. And I never watched it anyway because I hadn't had a television for years anyway. That was a conscious choice. But mm. so our media consumption is um, on our devices. Yeah. It's podcasts, it's YouTube, and we watch stuff on Netflix, etc. Yeah. Mm. So we don't have a lot. We don't. We don't read the newspaper. I mean, I read a bit of it online, obviously. Oh, you're but... constantly reading the news every morning. Yeah, but we don't have a newspaper. You newspaper. Pee. We don't read the. <laughs> well, well, like, technically, you're in the bathroom peeing, reading. Yes. I know. I know what you're doing in there. Yeah, I'm reading the headlines. Yeah. Um, we don't listen to the radio. We don't read the news traditional newspapers. But I we you know, I scan my feeds in the morning. Um, then we don't have a TV, so we we don't sort of get surrounded by 24-7 news swamp. Yeah, that's right. We're selective. You far more than me. But I do it for a living, so I have to keep abreast of it. You know. And, yeah, when I do when I do read something, it's, um, it's something probably that a trusted friend has shared, and I know that the source is reliable. Um, and I've learned how to... Um, figure out which news sources are to be trusted and why. So yeah, very selective. But um, sometimes you're you're like in bed and you don't have your AirPods in and I hear Trump's voice and I'm like, cut that shit out, man. Like, what are you doing to me? Like, this is right before bed. Like, give me some peace. Well, it's because you're normally in the bathroom for an hour getting ready for bed, listening to My Favourite Murder, hey, and I have to drown out My Favourite Murder by listening to Trump. I have an extensive skincare routine. Yes, like, <laughs> you do. Give yes. me the time. Yeah. I shall not be shamed. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to have banging skin when I'm 60 years old. Yes, you will. <laughs> anyway, getting back to what's going on in the US at the moment. Now, you know, um, one of the things that... I, I, one of the reasons I wanted you to talk about your experience is... When you first moved here nearly 11 years ago, um, we had a deal that when my older boys were 18, we would consider moving back to the US. It yeah. was something that you really wanted to do, and I agreed to that, that we would move back to the US. Because I'm quite close to my family. Yes. Like, it, it was that. It wasn't like, I've got to go back to the homeland because America is the end-all, be-all. Yes. It's just it's a proximity. You know, if I, if I lived in Vancouver, not a problem to, like, you know, take a long weekend and fly to Utah or wherever. Yeah. But it's just, it's like we are so isolated on literally the other side of the world. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. for Americans who don't know, it takes it takes a day to get to the west coast of America from here if you include taxis and airport stopovers and all yeah, all that customs, all that 24 take, hours. takes 24 hours. Um, and then, of course, we, we usually have to get to Utah or something like that on top of it. And it costs thousands and thousands of dollars to get from Australia to the U.S. Yeah, it's not like your $69 Southwest flight. No. Yeah. So it's a commitment. And, and, and if you're going to spend thousands of dollars, you figure, and you're going to travel that far, you figure, well, we might as well go for a month. So it's a month out of your life and $10,000 at least with 
cars and hotels and food and all that kind of stuff. So it's a big deal. Um, but um, so you, you, when you moved here, you made me promise that we would that we would at least consider going back, that it was an option. Well, and, I think and, you offered. Oh, okay. Well, I agreed it to it. It was an agreement way. anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, even though, even then, uh, uh, I was convinced that the U.S. was going to get worse and worse. and It was, it was spiraling out of control, and every five, ten years, it just seemed to be getting worse, and... I could not see how that would turn around. There was some hope that Obama might be the uh, black Jesus who would um, turn things around. But, you know, within a couple of years, by the time you moved here in 2009, it was pretty evident to me that he wasn't what he had been promised to be. Um, so I was, I, I was, I was... Skeptical, and then of course, when Trump got elected, um, uh, I was like, "No way, I'm not going yeah. over there." Well, with Trump as president, and in fact, you have changed your mind on wanting to live there as well. Altogether, yeah. I mean, it's been a slow process, and um, you know, six years ago we had a child, and that really changed my perspective too. Because I think before I was like, "Well, okay." Yeah, America's kind of a shit show, but if we live, if we move to a place like a, a, a you know progressive place such as Seattle, although I do not want to deal with the dreariness, you know, nine months out of the year, really. But there are pockets where I felt like it was more safe. It was more um, progressive, and you know, each state and each city has. Um, a level of livability and I thought you know if we could um, find a place like that I think we can make it work um, but yeah slowly um, and especially post Trump and then when yeah and then Fox was born or Fox was born and then Trump and th it was really the mass shootings where I realized what a psychological effect that that had on my nephew that that had on my nephews and nieces and my brothers and sisters so um my nephews and nieces were growing up and i am particularly close with a few of them and i talked to them a lot and i could sense their um rising anxiety levels and just imagining raising a kid i would not want that for them i would want them to go to have the opportunity to go to school and feel safe and feel like their school wasn't going to be shot up because they've been consuming uh, the media and learning about these things and going through, um, I don't know what they call them, mass shooting drills, basically is what they are, lockdown drills. Um, like in my day, we had earthquake drills uh, where we would get under our desks and stuff, and it's just so different now. Um, and all these things like build up to this level of anxiety. And when you go back, it's actually kind of pal palatable. You can feel it. There's a level of tension in the air um, as opposed to here where it is really easygoing. And I think that's one of the perspectives I wanted you to try and articulate as well. The difference in the 
just the social climate between the US when you go back there now and here? Because again, I think it's something that people that haven't lived for long periods of time in both places um, may struggle to comprehend. Yeah, so um, I think that just having, I mean, it's, it's just been this slow, um, slow realization of a lot of things um, and experiencing a lot of the things that are going well in Australia, healthcare, for example. Um, when I first got here, I got swine flu. I, I'm quite sure I got swine flu on the airplane. And it was like six days, five, six days after I landed, I just moved here. And I was like the sickest I'd ever been in my whole life. And you were like, well, we got to take you to a doctor. And um, I was like, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. And you finally, we finally like communicated enough where I was like, we can't afford that right now because you were as poor as a pauper. Well, and this is a few months after that. Well, it was a year after the global financial crisis, actually. Yeah. And my business, yeah, the podcast network had been wiped out. I My income had been wiped out. I'd just gotten separated from my previous wife and massive setup expenses, huge debts, no income. Yeah, we were, we were completely fucked. Yeah, and... I was just thinking, no, I can't go to a doctor. Like I don't have, I'm, I'm not, I don't have insurance yet. Um, I just arrived and I wasn't on Medicare. Um, not a citizen, no Medicare. And I was no. on a work and holiday visa. Yeah. So I wasn't privy to Medicare yet. Mm -hmm. And it got so bad. You're like, don't worry about it. And I thought, oh yeah, there's that attitude, like that Aussie attitude, she'll be right. And I was like, ugh. Finally, we went and we paid $35 for the visit. And I was like gobsmacked. I they didn't, they I, didn't, they didn't ask any, they didn't ask if you were a, a citizen or your Medicare. We said, I think they, we said they, they asked if I had Medicare and I said, no, I just moved here. Yeah. They charged me $35 and I kept like expecting a huge bill in the mail to arrive. Never did. And um, so that was a shock. And like, um, you know, I've had spine problems. I have, well, we won't go into it. I have a bad back. Um, so I've had to have lots of, you know, doctor's visits and specialist visits for that. I had a child that requires a lot of um, medical care. I had a C-section. We didn't pay a penny for it. And my sister had had twins a year before and she posted a photo on social media of like a, a huge stack of bills with her then like they're probably six month old kids in the background. Um, those were her medical bills for those kids. Hmm. And I was like, damn, I didn't pay a thing. Hmm. Um, I haven't, I've never had to, I, I make a doctor's appointment every time. We never have to wait. We can go right in. And how <laughs> the receptionist at our doctor's office knows us and Fox by name and has done yeah. for years. They know our voices on the phone. Um, how often do, would you say you go to the doctor either for yourself or for Fox? Um, like it really depends on what's happening with my back. But um, on average, over like over um, the course of three months. Okay, like maybe once every 
month in the years when Fox was younger and having to have regular kind of routine checkups and vaccinations and um, stuff like that. And certainly like every, I don't know, three weeks when I was pregnant. Um, yeah, we're talking about normal times though. Okay, once what, a month. Once a month you go to the doctor. Yeah, and it's like I don't think about it now. Yeah. Whereas like when I was in the U.S., I waited until it got dire and I had private health insurance. But the the worry was um, what if it's something big and what if this makes my premium go up? And I don't know, like people in America just avoid going to the doctor until it gets really bad. So I find preventative care here is just astonishingly good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... Um... Getting back to uh, just your your experience of what's happening in America right now from over here, um, you know, what do you think's the root cause of the protests and the riots? How far back do we go? <laughs> I mean, African Americans have been oppressed since they first came over on boats as slaves. And it's like they have, um, as a population, have never been able to recover. And this whole idea of, oh, we'll just pull yourselves up by your bootstraps um, is still pervasive. And it was also watching The Wire where I really had a deeper under, I got a deeper understanding of, um, of kids in the inner cities and how there's almost no way out. And how bad the oppression is and the systemic racism and I forgot what your question was. Well, yeah, what's, <laughs> what's the root cause of those sorts of problems? Well, anyway? yeah, so the systemic racism that is still really bad. Um, and it's just been from, uh, look, I mean, whether you think that you are not racist or not, if you're an American you have a level of racism somewhere in your brain um, because of all the media around you, all the TV, all the movies where African-Americans have been portrayed in um, certain lights and it all sinks into the subconscious, right? So, excuse me, I, I don't think that this current problem, it's not a black problem, it's a white problem the white the the white elite are in power and it, it it's a white problem that needs to be uh fixed by white people white people are the ones who need to step up um and do whatever they can do and I'm, i don't know what the answer is but I'm not um, looking down on the riots I'm not saying violence isn't the answer because what are they gonna do what are they going to do? Like, okay, one football player um, refuses to take the knee and America blows up over it. I mean, that is a peaceful protest. Look what happened to him. Mm. Okay, mm. so that's not an option. Mm. Peaceful protest gets gets nowhere, it seems like. Mm. Um, marches and rallies, and they're labeled something else. Mm. Um, and... It's at a boiling point, and it happens during a point where America's already 
crumbling. The economy is crumbling. Everyone is desperate. Not everyone, but it's a desperate situation right now with COVID. And um, then police brutality, um, police on black brutality, um, that's nothing has changed. The fact that we have that we that everybody has a recording device in their pocket um, has changed. Yeah, I liked we watched that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez AOC clip. Sorry, I'm just trying to plug in the power um, <clears throat> that she did on Twitter or something earlier today. I thought she made a good point. She said, "If you think the the if you think violence is not the answer." in terms of the riots, well, then tell us what you're going to do about the violence that the that minorities in America have been suffering for centuries. What are you doing about that? If you want to fix the violence, if you don't want to see violence, stop the violence. Yeah. Tell us how you're going to stop the violence and, and the inequality and the oppression and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, she kind of um, said, you better be behind universal health care. You better be behind um, standing up for... Um, housing equality you better be standing up for a livable minimum wage she kind of listed all these things and she kind of pegged it one thing she did leave out was um was the accessibility of guns talk about that your perspective on guns more in australia so obviously um i guess everyone who listens to my show knows about australia and guns but for people that are new maybe 1996, we had a mass shooting in Tasmania and our conservative government at the time, uh, led by Prime Minister John Howard, just basically made a decision, that's it, we're getting rid of semi-automatic weapons and and even for any other weapon, you need to have a huge justification for why you would have one. You have to basically prove that it's for farming or hunting and not a lot of hunting goes on here um or you're a target shooter or an olympic shooter you use it for sports or something like that or you're a cop or a security guard or yeah, etc but and even for target shooters i think i don't think they can store the weapon in their house right um so that was 1996 uh what's that to 24 years ago mm. i think we've officially had one mass shooting since then and that was a family um, murder suicide that happened a year ago out in the country husband killed his wife children and mother-in-law or something i think that's the only mass shooting i think we've had in 24 years um and i was saying to chrissy like Maybe America needs a wake-up call event like that. Um, if it wasn't Sandy Hook or what happened at the Bellagio, not the Bellagio, whatever the casino was, that's where we got married, the casino in Vegas a few years ago. Um, I don't know what it's going to be, but... Uh, it was the country music festival, yeah. I don't know what the what the wake-up event would look like, but but talk about your experience of living in a country with... Very few guns per capita. Well, it's kind of interesting. Well, okay. First of all, it just feels safe. <laughs> like, I we can go into a crowded public area. Never once is that crossing my mind. But you felt safe when you lived in Seattle, too, you've always told me. Yeah, I did. Um, however, 
There was one shooting on campus when I was at the University of Washington, like on the other side of campus. I remember a building being closed down. I think one person died and um, maybe the shooter uh, killed himself. I can't remember exactly the details. Um, but look, I've never heard a gunshot. I've never seen anyone brandishing a weapon. Um, so I did feel safe, but I also realized that um, I was of the age where you feel invincible, you know? I was I was younger, and I think just with age, you realize that, no. <laughs> you were also the girl who solo hiked uh, through the Alps after you met me and was just, you know, taking hitching rides with random strangers in the middle of the Alps going... I hitchhiked once. What, what bad could happen? What, what could happen? Yeah, look, I was so naive. I mean... I was certain your body was going to end up discovered, frozen on the side of a mountain or something, and I'd never see you again. Yeah, I just really had this like feeling of that youth, youthful invincibility. So I think age has, certainly has a lot to do to do with that. Um, but now, and I think also becoming a mother, things shift, and you your concern for your family's welfare and anyway like we're able to go into a movie theater and i don't that thought doesn't cross my mind public places it's just not a thing it's not i'm not thinking about it and when i go to the u.s like we we went and saw star wars in a movie theater and i was kind of like thinking about it and there's just an air of caution and um last year fox and i went without you you were doing something i don't remember making um, money is called i was making money make the money mm. make make the money mm. um Pink daddy cam that's right we were just uh yeah flying all over the world while you were just mm. here slaving, slaving in front of a microphone yeah <laughs> um telling dick jokes to ray but yeah okay so i fox and i went to walmart because it's the closest grocery store near my mom. And I'm also fascinated by Walmart because it's like a fascinating place, right? It's kind of this cultural weird shock thing for mm. me. Mm. Not only the products, but the people. And it's like, mm. whoa. And mm. I always I always um, bump into somebody I know. And you always bump into plagues oh, in Cedar City. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and seeing the polygamists. Yeah, yeah. it's like... Far out, man. Like <laughs> Dressed in their prairie dresses or whatever. Yeah, and, and it's not like I didn't see them growing up, but I've just yeah. been removed from it, yeah. and I'm like, wow. Oh, I, my God. And I could have been one of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like That's another story. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, you already are. Like, I've got multiple wives now with Ray and you. It's two. Yeah, well, if Ray and I, if it was a big love situation, I would mm. cut a bitch. Well, you would be the lead wife. Oh. We, we know Ray's not going to lead anything. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ray. Um, yeah, okay. I walked into the Walmart and saw somebody open carrying, some yokel dude, open carrying a gun. And I was like, what? 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 I remember getting a covert picture and sending it to you right then. I was like, what the actual fuck? And so, yeah, like. That's, that was shocking to you. That was shocking to me. Yeah. Like for people who don't live here, not only do we not have mass shootings, we just don't have shootings. I mean, occasionally, 
Um, you will hear of a gang shooting. And Melbourne went through a period 10 or 15 years ago where there was you know, a lot more of those, maybe 10 in the course of a year. But we, we have gang-related shootings and occasionally the police will get into an altercation with a crim over a gun. But it's, you know... It's so rare, so yeah. far removed, and you sort of have to be in um, in certain circles to like. And it's big news. Yeah. If if uh, I mean, a cop cops shoot people here, you know, from time to time. It's been a couple in the last couple of weeks, but it's a big deal. If a cop anywhere in the country shoots somebody, everyone's like, "Fuck! Look at that! Somebody got shot! Wow!" It's like yeah, it's, it's all over the it's, it's all over the yeah. media, and people are like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Um, and it's always a situation like the one was the other day where a guy was charged, a guy who was pulled over on the side of a freeway, I think in, might have been here or in Melbourne, was charging the cops, cops with a knife. They shot him with uh, a taser or uh, something first, some something that was non-lethal that was supposed to put him down and didn't affect him. It's probably on ice. And yeah, it was probably, it said, they said he was acting, uh, you know, whatever, irrationally. And then, so they shot him, but... It's a very it's it's rare here, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so we that's the sort of place that you live in now, and you I, I guess my take is that um, you've your view of America has changed. I think America has changed since you've been here too. Oh, it certainly has. And I'm not talking about Trump. I'm just talking yeah. about the the escalation of the divisiveness mm-hmm. and the tension, and you know, as a um, as the world's leading historian, I, I've i been looking at the U.S. for at least since 9-11, I guess. Did you just say world's leading historian? Yeah. Oh. I didn't think you were going to well, comment on that. I did. But you're just going to let that go. Get, let it go through and just roll your eyes. You know like I you never let do. anything go. No, but you roll your eyes. That's about it. Which wouldn't pick up on Mike yeah. and I'd get away with it. Yeah. Um, the, uh, since 9-11, just... Trying to figure out, like, based on my readings in of history, what happens to cultures like this? How do they turn around? Because if they don't, cultures like everything else suffer from entropy. We're always moving to more and more disorder. And occasionally something will turn around uh, a, a culture that's heading into chaos but I can't think of many instances where that has happened. It's usually something uh, hugely dramatic and tragic has to happen to shake a culture up um, uh, for it to get back on track. The, the Germans needed uh, Hitler. Um, the British, uh, well, I was going to say they needed World War Two, but uh, I'm not sure they became better after that. Um, yeah, it takes it takes a cataclysmic event to shake a culture up. And I just can't see how America's going to handle... what I can't see how it's going to fix the gun situation. I think everyone agrees. Like, everyone I've ever spoken to over there is just like, it's just the way it is. It's never it's never going to change. It's just the way it is. Well, I don't think anything is going to happen with gun culture. I, I, I mean, if it hasn't happened now, I don't know what could happen. If, but... send, if, a, if a school, if a classroom full of... Six-year-olds getting shot doesn't make yeah. people do anything. Nothing, I thought surely, yeah. like, because I actually want to be optimistic about America. I yeah. want to. I want to. S- I think that's been the source of a lot of problems with us talking about this over the years. Is you always want to be optimistic, 
and because I'm, I want the and best. I'm, well, I want the best too. But like I said to Christians, I want heaven to be real. I want to live for eternity in paradise. I want to be a god. I just like, <laughs> I want to I, <laughs> like Mormons. Yeah. Well, I'm a sex god, so I'm halfway there already. True that. I. <laughs> See, you heard it here, people. <laughs> I, it's not just Ray who says it. I, uh, but I just don't believe it's going to happen. And and it's the same with America. I would love America to be the thing that it thinks it is or the thing that it wants to be. The light on the hill. The shining light on the hill. I just don't believe it is and I don't see how it can possibly turn around. Well, going back to the polarization that has really amped up. Like, I thought it was quite divisive. Um, when I when I was there um, under W, and, like, I, I it, it was quite polarized then, and it's just, like, insane now. And I think, you know, when I moved here, Facebook was fairly newish. Um, and I think social media has just really... Um, played a part in the polarization social media fake news fox news yeah fox news i mean talk radio mm. was around like um some of my classmates in high school liked and listened to rush limbaugh mm. so that was around mm. um but here like that that huge polarization isn't a thing it's like okay somebody can be conservative somebody can be progressive and you can still have a conversation about it mm. and you can still walk away mates mm -hmm. and um, there's not this huge Facebook attack war amongst Aussies. My, my Facebook right now is so, um, there's this big dividing line between my American friends and I do have a wide variety because of, I have a lot of conservative friends that I grew up with and a lot of, you know, liberal aka progressive friends that um that i established in my adult life in seattle and that i gravitated towards because they were my people um and it's just a shit show like you can't even have a civil conversation about coronavirus they're mm -hmm. like it's my right to go out in public and do what i want i don't have to wear a mask and so talk about the for, for for particularly for the American listeners talk about because we've talked about this a lot so like, the coronavirus experience in Australia and how that differs from what you see happening in the US yeah so most everybody is just on board with like, like this is the reasonable thing to do sort of like when um, there was a mass shooting in Tasmania, everyone's like, okay, right, this makes sense. Let's get really strict gun, gun control. Same with coronavirus. It's like, okay, this is a threat. This makes sense. Let's all get on board with um, sheltering in place and let's all get on board with kind of shutting everything down. If we do it effectively, this will be, um, it'll, it'll be short-lived, right? And there are pockets. There's like little tiny factions of people who went out and protested. But it's just, they're kind of the crazies. And they're kind of, um, it's actually an American brand of, um, it's an American bred movement. 
Um, yeah, because it's, it's it's the same thing. It's the QAnon anti-vax, uh, you know, wacko minority. Pandemic, yeah, yeah. But it's the anti, yeah, and it's the anti-vaxxers, but yeah, who no one here takes seriously on either side of the political divide. But it's worked here. It's worked. Like we had. What do you, you mean? The the COVID responses work, not the, the anti-vaxxers. No, right. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, the COVID responses. It worked. Like, um, I do look up coronavirus um, st- stats. Like, so many days, it's like zero new cases overnight. So we've had, I think, as of today, one hundred and three deaths deaths in the country. And that one hundred and three has been like a week old. And I think half of those came from a cruise liner mm-hmm. where people had it or maybe more. Um, and testing has been widely available. So Austra- very early on. Very yeah. early on. Um, so I have um, a couple of friends who had, excuse me, um, who had like allergy symptoms and were just a little bit paranoid and got a coronavirus test because you can just go get one. It's not pleasant, but you can. My sister got one. Yeah. One of my sisters. Um, Whereas but, you you kind of like, oh, I have I have a friend who knows he had COVID, didn't get tested. He and his partner just had to shelter in place in New York City and get over it. And it was classic symptoms, respiratory issues, really sick, um, but didn't want to inundate the hospitals there for good reason. And they both recovered, thankfully, but they weren't tested. And that's crazy to me. Mm. Um but I think, you know, the thing that you and I were talking about last week, I think, was that in Australia, it hasn't really seemed to matter whether or not you like the incumbent government. And I don't. I mean, I don't like either of the major parties, but particularly the guy who's prime minister at the moment. He's a fundamentalist, happy clapper. Um, I have no respect for him. And I think a lot of his policies have been terrible. The, the bushfires, he completely mishandled. He went on holiday days to Hawaii when the country was on fire and then lied about it and he lied about... He's lied about lots of stuff he's been caught out about. He's just one of these guys that probably would end up in the next edition of my psychopath book. But he got his wrist slapped big time. He got his butt slapped and he seemed to step up for, well, with the coronavirus crisis. Now, early on, he didn't. Like when I was in Sydney with Tony... Uh, before the lockdown, Morrison had come out the week before that when everyone was saying, well, he goes, oh, I'm going to the footy on the weekend. I'm not worried about it. It's going to be fine. I'm going to go support my team. I'm going to be there with tens of thousands of people. Uh, I think he said that on a Friday, he'd be at the footy on the weekend. Then he didn't go to the footy. And on the Monday, he said, we're shutting the country down. Yeah, he was so a little he was, slow on the drive. He was, was blustering, but then mm. I think the cases started to skyrocket. Mm. And for whatever reason, he and his party decided that, okay, we can't fuck around with this. We need to take this really seriously or we're going to have a million dead people in the country. But when they shut it down, my point is that it doesn't matter if you like him or don't or like his party or don't. The entire country just went, yep, let's shut it down. And there really wasn't any bitching or moaning about it or, you know, protesting about it until I think in the last week, since we already were, we're coming out of lockdown, but now there's the crazy 5G conspiracy anti-vaxxer minority that are out there making fools of themselves. 
think that was a couple weeks ago. They had a day day protest, but um, but yeah, they're like the vast minority. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But the point is, like, and no one's taking them seriously. Both, no, no politician, no political party, no media outlet. Everyone's just, you're a bunch of crazies. Yeah, like, look what the crazies are doing. Look at their signs and the laundry yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Anyway, um, and the fu- the funny thing is, is Aussies do inherently they all mistrust the government. Yeah. They're all leery and skeptical of the government. They think that all politicians are probably. Um, Corrupt. Corrupt and shysters. It's, and it's corrupt and less proven, not corrupt. Which is how it should be. <laughs> I mean, be skeptical. Make your um, elected leaders uh, prove themselves. And that's how it should be. But, yeah, it seems like when there's a massive crisis, people are using logic and reason. and um, Even complete tools like Scott Morrison's been listening to the scientists and, you know... And look, we have a lot of things going for us. We're so geographically isolated in the world. Um, our population density is the lowest in the world per landmass. Although, as Rob Irwin pointed out to me the other day on Facebook, it's probably not got a lot to do with it because in our cities, yeah, our population density is probably the equivalent of in most other major cities, de- Western developed cities. I mean, yeah. not Mumbai or places like that, or places some places in China. But, you know, it's pretty dense. Cities are cities and they're dense. Cities are cities. And yet uh, still our death toll is, you know, deaths per million is very low compared to the US or the UK. Um, It may have had something to do that it happened at the, you know, sort of the end of summer here, beginning Mm. of autumn, and it was still quite warm. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. That may have we we don't really know. we don't know but we don't know why uh, you know might have something to do with the fact that our population has better preventative health care I, I I don't know but um, and we could very well have a resurgence yeah. in the winter but um, I I'm pretty confident that um, it will be hand, handled pretty well um, yeah. when that happens mm. if that happens. And but, as, sorry, as uh, Steve, who we had lunch with yesterday, said one thing you have to hand it to the Morrison government for, they are a conservative government. They they don't like spending money. They don't like going into debt. Um, and yet they, uh, you know, agreed to raise whatever it was, $130 million to keep the economy going. Mm. They, they, they immediately made the decision, we're going to shut down the economy, which for a conservative government is anathema. Um, and we're going to raise a bunch of money. And I know Trump did the same thing and the... the and Congress did the same thing in the US, just decided to raise a ton of money and uh, put the country in a massive debt. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the racism in both countries. Sure. Because there's both America and um, Australia has uh, genocide on their hands, mm-hmm. blood on their hands of the native people. Mm. And there's certainly racism here. Mm-hmm. Um it's also systemic. It's also ignored. Mm-hmm. The Aboriginal population is kind of just brushed aside, given a couple pats on the back. Um, we, they were given a sorry day, but nothing really major to help them in a real way break this generation after generation um, cycle mm. of racism. So in a way, it's really quite similar Um but just the violence in America is a bit different. 
police on police on minority violence and well we have a lot of um aboriginal death by cop happen in this country in remote regions in particular mm. far north queensland northern territory you know different parts of western australia pretty bad track record of um Indigenous Australians being killed, usually treated brutally in a prison, in a cell, Mm. um, end up dying. Our track record there is horrible, as is our track record of the treatment of uh, asylum seekers that we throw on islands. Yeah, we've got plenty of embarrassing problems that haven't been resolved. Mm-hmm. But getting back to uh, the black thing, I wanted. To, I saw a tweet from Michelle Obama before saying, you know, she's horrified at all the problems in the country. And I keep wondering, like, Obama was president. He had a black president for eight years. What happened in terms of this sort of the, the, the stuff that's underlying the riots at the moment, the, the treatment of African-American people in the United States? Eight years of an African-American president. What did he do about it? And if he did nothing, if a black president doesn't try and fix it, then what hope have you got? Yeah, I don't know. And I'm not an expert, so I really I, I don't feel qualified to really comment on on anything like that. But I did, you know, all these riots started uh, breaking out and more every day. Day before yesterday, I said, you know, if you were president right now, what would you do about this situation what would you do? And I don't, how, how would you start the process of getting better? And it's just so, I asked you that because I, I don't know, because it's so complex. These people are disenfranchised on so many levels and have been oppressed for hundreds of years. And I, I just don't know. I don't know what the answer is. And I don't blame rioters because, as I said before, peaceful demonstrations, what have they done? Voting. What's that done? Yeah. And I mean, even there are so many stories about uh, minority groups being intimidated at the polls and um, you know, really sleazy stuff going on to curb the minority vote um, anyway. So it's like... Yeah, I don't I don't know what the um, solution is aside from white people rising up for their black um, citizens, for their black friends. And as I said to you the other day, like uh, a white cop with his knee on the neck of a black man who he's suffered, who I don't know if he didn't suffocate him according to the autopsy, but who is he's killing. By putting his knee on his neck, Mm. no better symbolic image for the plight of the African-American person in the United States over the last few hundred years. I have had to think about it since you asked me what I'd do as president. What I would do is say, listen, we've obviously uh, just demonstrated that we can raise trillions of dollars with the snap of our fingers. Mm -hmm. We're going to raise another trillion or two or three or four, whatever it takes, and set up a reparation fund to our African-American people. Yep. Everybody, every African-American, every citizen of African-American heritage whose ancestors were brought here as slaves is going to be given a million dollars. And the Native Americans. Let's not forget about them. 
Hell yeah, let's throw them in there as well. I mean, they. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna call started. it our make it right fund. We're going to make it right. What we did to the Native Americans, what we did to the uh, African Americans, or the African slaves, and the generations that came after that. Um, and because you don't need to sell drugs uh, on the street corner if you've got a fund that's going to take care of you. Um, we're going to set aside money. You're going to get paid an income. You're going to get free education, free training. We're going to um, work hard with all of the states to make sure that um, at least 50% of elected officials are, of, are from minorities. Yeah, well, that was my idea. Yo, don't steal it. Well, okay. <laughs> it was from um, Michael Moore's documentary, uh, Who Should We Invade Next? Uh, where we learned that in Iceland, um, after the global financial crisis, there was one bank that survived and it was run by women. And they there's a law that in any uh, organization, whether it be a corporation or government, there has to be a 40-60 ratio men to women in either way, 40% women, 60 men, 60% uh, women, 40 men, doesn't matter. But um, that seems to have really done an amazing things for their country. And we all know that women should rule the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Power that, that was my, like when I posed the question to you, that was my only thought is like, yeah, I don't know how you would. Um, I don't know how you would do that in America because everything is kind of states' rights. Um, well, no, that fund that I'm going to imaginarily create uh, mm -hmm. it provides incentives to states who do it. Right, massive, a lot of money at that. Yeah, massive uh, financial incentives to states that get on board quickly. Yeah, and obviously there's got to be um, there's. There's got to be something on the local and state and federal police where um, the bad apples are just thrown out immediately. This guy yeah. who, who who was... Um, Chauvinist. His name was Chauvin. Derek Chauvin. Oh, yeah. Appropriate. Um, yeah. I he, mean, he had he had a track record of problems and was a, certainly a psychopath. Well, Floyd, had, we know, had a prison record. Yeah. Um, but he'd been out for at least five years. He was working as a security guard. Don't know that he had any... Um, uh, uh, charges against him in that time but the cop had a whole b a long track record of complaints against him couple of shootings um, to his name um, yeah and and the and he also worked as a security guard bizarrely he and Floyd worked at uh, as security guards at the same nightclub the woman who's the owner of the nightclub says they had different shifts she doesn't think they would know each other but that she'd had problems with Chauvin in the past and had to tell him to, you know, uh, uh, stop being so aggressive with the clientele and tell him to calm the fuck down. So stop being an asshole. He's got issues. It would, yeah, it would obviously had issues, and yeah. the police force seemed to have just left him on the force. Yeah, the MPD. They're like the Catholic Church. Just did you know the, that in Minneapolis? The people around Minneapolis, African Americans are. 13% of the population, or that might be nationally, they're 13%, but I assume it's similar in Minneapolis, but they... Um, I don't know. They are twice as many uh, gun deaths, police shootings, I think. 
Really? Yeah. Minneapolis has a very bad track record of uh, black people getting shot by cops. Hmm. Okay, well, listen, that's uh, that's an hour. I think we've yeah. uh, got it out. Thank you for coming on the podcast, my love. Thank you. Are you going to let me uh, tap that tonight? Oh, <laughs> is, you know, in honor. Always. In honor. Always. <laughs> 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 awkward silence uh, oh come on we do it all the time do we <laughs> what the fuck uh well you know except when you go i'm tired i'm busy yeah well except for when fox is like coming up into our room at 10 p.m like yeah 2 a.m keeping us awake all night yeah okay we're tired Thanks, folks. Um, if you are an American who lives in a riot hotspot, um, shoot me a message, shoot me an email, and um, invite yourself on the show. Come and share your experience and uh, tell us what you think about what's going on and what should be done about it. And wherever you are in the world, stay safe. And remember, don't be a cunt. Cameron out. Don't bullshit. Don't bullshit. Don't bullshit. Bullshit. Bullshit.